Now, most of us uh, right now are looking forward to a day uh, that's not far away with just eight sleeps left. I wonder what it is that you want for Christmas. I love this time of year. I just love Christmas so much. The expectation, the waiting, kids, even maybe a few adults. What is it that you're hoping to receive this Christmas? My mom is particularly gifted at wrapping and then stacking gifts in a particular way. I'll never forget the Christmas of 1997. Unbeknownst to me, she had carefully organized the gifts uh, so that I opened them in a particular order. The joy and the expectation that she hoped for me was there, drawn out until I had received uh, all that was fully realized. First of all, just something small. It was gray a little memory stick, just something small. Then came a controller, also gray, had a cable attached to it in its own box, just beautiful, all for me. At this point, I knew. I knew. I knew what was coming. But I was just silent with excitement, with anticipation. Then again, Crash Bandicoot, the number one selling game of that year. As I unwrapped them all, they all pointed forward on their own. Each was helpful. Each was essential. They were all pointing forward to something greater, something that was coming. That large box at the back of the stack, the last thing that I unwrapped. There it was. As I unwrapped it, laid out beautifully before me in all its glory, the PlayStation. What a moment. Now, this is funny. Uh, this is also very true. Uh, but it is what we are going to see in our sermons, not just uh, this morning. We'll see a little glimpse of that. But I think in these coming weeks, uh, these three Christmas uh, sermons, uh, and also in our text clearly today, we'll see how God's promises each coming one by one, they all fit together. They're all important, all crucial, but all building, all pointing forward to a picture that is uh, to be realized way beyond our text this morning, coming in the future, a picture that we now know and understand piece by piece, God revealing his plan to his people, how he and he alone will bring a people to himself despite their rebellion in the garden, their turning away from him in the promised land, their discipline from him in Babylon, his promises are true. They're all coming, all to be fulfilled. He has restored a people, as we see this morning. And he will lead them into eternity with himself. As we turn to the text today, if you've got a Bible, please turn to Genesis 49 with me. We're going to be looking at verses 8 to 12 together. We find ourselves uh, here in the text, just jumping straight in right next to the deathbed of Jacob. He is the grandson of Abraham. He's the son of Isaac and Rebekah, a patriarch of Israel. 
and really the father of this nation that Josh mentioned. It's his 12 sons that we do have, the 12 tribes. So here he is at the end of his life, gathering his sons around him to pronounce not just his thoughts, but really the promises and the word of God. He's promising it, speaking it over his people and also over all of his descendants. So just here in our text as Moses is relaying this information to us. We're reminded of the central themes of Genesis. Themes looking back to the promises of uh, Abraham given to him by God. The promises given to Isaac. And then those promises, these prophecies, all looking forward uh, to how God is going to redeem and work through his people to bring about his kingdom here on earth. Especially through his chosen king. Coming king. So that is where we come to as we come to these five verses together, particularly on what Jacob says uh, to his fourth son, Judah. Uh, So let me read this uh, text for us. Genesis 49, 8 to 12. Uh, Turn there with me. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people's binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. As we look at this text together, I do think the main point uh, for our time together is that through his chosen king, God's people will be blessed And all people will bow before him. Through his chosen king, God's people will be blessed. And all people will bow before him. And the text uh, splits into two parts. So I have two points for us this morning. The first one is God's king. The second one is God's kingdom. God's king and God's kingdom. So let's look at that first point together, uh, especially in verses 8, 9, and 10. God's king. So fascinatingly, these glorious words are spoken over Judah in verse 8, beginning with that pronouncement of praise. This man, this man that caused his mother Leah to praise God in chapter 29, where she said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Judah himself is now to be praised. This is what the the word, the name Judah means, praise. Jacob here, having already slammed his first three sons, if you get a chance to go back, now uh, pivots to speak to his fourth son and speaks to him on behalf of God himself to say that Judah will be worthy of praise, that this praise of his brothers will now be given unto him. It belongs to him. His, and he's, and uh, Jacob says there in verse 8, his father's sons shall bow down before you. 
Others, like Reuben, just given up their birthright. That moment has been passed. That uh, right has been forfeited. And now we get a picture of a righteous king. Here, God's chosen ruler. We see that he is the one who leads the people to God, for he is the one who is worthy of praise, but also the one who crushes his enemies. That's why Judah's brothers will bow down and praise him. It is this tribe, it is the who is to come from it, more than I think Judah himself. He is the the named recipient of these promises. It is in his hands that these promises are delivered. Make no mistake, friends, this is God's choice here, just being declared. This language that that Jacob uses for his declaration to honor his heir is specific. His words are choice. This rule of God's anointed king will be like the hand on the neck of his enemies. Powerful, in control, dominant. This powerful position from above causes the one in submission to then be brought low and to bow before the king, bowing before their Lord. In Judah, I think we see that this military might is promised no matter what is to come, no matter how messy the battle before God's people and how hidden the victory. God here in our text is promising victory to his king. It is worship that the people can't help but bring before him. Victory, worship, all due to this king. If you're here this morning, if you don't follow God, I think here we clearly see your fate, the fate of all people. All will bow down before him, this coming king. He is your king, and he will be your judge. Look there at verse 8. This phrase at the end, I think, is so interesting. Your father's sons. I think for us and for Judah, this takes it a step beyond just his brothers. This kind of phrase is to be used of someone's descendants. Here, Jacob delivering these promises, referring to his own sons, really they're meant to be heard through the generations, reverberating down and down. You can almost imagine Jacob declaring this, banging his staff on the floor as these things are declared and prophesied, not just to his brothers, but to the waiting people, to the people down through the ages receiving this. Judah and his brothers just standing there in quiet, silently taking in these promises, these surprising declarations. So shocking, so unmerited are the promises of God when they are received and understood for the first time. If you're a Christian here this morning, you know this. I think the other sons just standing, looking in disbelief, none of them able to fully reconcile the full outworking of them, but knowing that what they're hearing is significant. What they're hearing would somehow change all of history. I'll ask you this morning, 
When did you last stop and stand and consider the marvelous promises of God? Perhaps you no longer read your Bible. Perhaps the gospel and the word of God has left your hands. Perhaps it's forgotten to you. Friends, the promises of God should never be far from our eyes. It should never be far from our mouths. Friends, this is what we should feast on daily. Taking in these promises, reminding one another of how good and faithful God is to his people. God here has declared that his kingdom is to be led by a king, a shepherd, a judge, a priest. There is a shift here as this metaphorical sword is laid by Jacob on the the shoulders of Judah by his father. Don't want us to miss this morning the significance of this moment, but also just the, the little shadows the glimpses that start to appear, the mystery here in this majesty, the pause in this promise of praise, the realization of this rule and reign that is to come. Now for a time, this blessing, if you read on, this blessing and honor would be shared with Joseph and the tribe of Ephraim. That is until we read in Psalm 78, says there, they, that's Israel, tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies. He, that is God, rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. In 1 Samuel 15, God sends Samuel to go and find his king, the one whom God has chosen. There to Samuel, God says, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Now, if you knew Old Testament geography, you would already know the significance of what we've just heard, that Jesse... David's father is a Bethlehemite. 1 Samuel 16 makes clear what I want you to see even clearer here for us. 1 Samuel 16 says, David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse. Promises are given to Judah by Jacob in our text, and we see the the force and the impact of them appear for the first time here in a small place called Bethlehem. I wonder if you've heard of it before. It's a small place, and it's there that we see the throne of God's king established. How miraculous, how marvelous These promises sat waiting until in his good pleasure, he sent for and called David. God called him to be his king. It was to David that God will then say in 2 Samuel 7, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. 
your throne shall be established forever. It is now, it is this line that God will bring forth his king. It's now to this dynasty that we see these promises delivered. David's fortunes here found in the forever of God's word. What follows is David, and if you will know his story, the mighty king of Israel, victorious in battle, ruling and reigning as the king of Israel, conquering and crushing with military victories, just too numerous to number here, a king that certainly puts his hand on the neck of his enemies. Of that there is no doubt. Yet if you know anything about his story, you know that he was not a perfect man and certainly not a savior. He was not one that would see final and ultimate victory himself, but would pass away dying like Moses, like Joshua, like Solomon, like Rehoboam, like Hezekiah, like all the other kings of Israel and all of the other descendants. Verse 10 here show, will show us how this goes far beyond Judah himself, down through the centuries to one that is to come, the promised Messiah. Friends, I want you to feel the weight of these verses here. These just five verses that we're looking at, how heavy and weighty they are, how small they are. This heavy gift put and placed in your hand this morning, you hold it you immediately know that it's significant, something serious. It's not light. It's weighty and powerful. There is something incredibly significant here. Let's keep unwrapping. Look at verse 9 with me. Now learn about these promises to Judah. As we learn more about God's chosen king, we see that he is one like a lion. There we see a picture, we see a a lion in three different stages. A lion cub being one that is fierce and fearless, going after its prey, striking down its enemies. Or like a lion, strong and powerful, dominant, everything fears him. The very sight of his mane is terrifying. Nothing stands against him. Like a lioness, so powerful and mighty, with all the power a lioness possesses, that even as a lioness lays down in its lair, there is none that dare disturb it. Wonder if you caught that. The lion, having finished its work, sits down. The lion rests. It is This king's work that will have an end, it will be finished. Yet a lion is like no other. This image known in every tribe and every tongue around the world. Utter power, utter dominance. Displayed. Glorious. Majestic. There is none that dare stand against this lion. Because none will survive. Stand against a lion is utter foolishness. I wonder how you view this coming king. When you hear of his power and might displayed, I'm interested if he is someone that concerns you. I wonder if you hear about this powerful king this morning. 
Is he one that you think you could stand against? Jacob is demonstrating to the brothers, to the people listening, and to the generations, to us this morning, that this king is like no other. Everything will be subject to him. No matter what things look like today or tomorrow, this is sure. Is that the same with you, friends? Do you struggle to see God's hand and believe his promises because they somehow seem hidden by your today or your yesterday? Are you struggling to see God's hand and his faithfulness this morning? As we turn to verse 10 at the end of this first point, we see that all the trappings of government will be given to this king. He holds the scepter. That often now in nowadays is that long stick that has a globe looking like on the top of it and the staff in his other, probably something like a shepherd's crook, symbolic of leadership and authority. It is these things that the, the king holds, representing his power, his majesty, and how he is to care for his people. What is said of them? That the king will hold them? Yes. More than that, I think this promise is that they, and it says there, shall not depart from Judah. Throughout the history of Israel, as we look at it down through the years, the years of roller coaster ride, rebellion, God continually keeping his promises. These promises all given to a people that turn against him, then they follow others. They reject and disobey him over and over again. Yet God keeps his promises. God is faithful. God's chosen king, as verse 10 shows, his rule and reign will never end. There is one coming that deserves all praise and tribute. It is he that is this coming king. It is by that kingdom that will be established. That it is in him that all people will be obedient. All the people that he has brought to himself. As a side note, that Hebrew word there translated as obedience in verse 10. This word also means to gather. This king deserves praise. All his people will be gathered to him, brought in before him, picking up those promises given to Abraham, people from all, every tribe and tongue and nation. Friends, that is what we do here every week. Look around, see the promises of God delivered to us. A people brought in from many nations, many tribes, many tongues here this morning gathering to worship a king. To gather is the action of that word. The obedience is the heart behind it. To translate it as obedience here is completely correct. When God's people gather every week, they are doing so in obedience to him. Being here with God's people, this is what God's chosen king deserves. This is the best way to spend your Sunday morning. No matter how you're feeling after the wedding last night or your working week or what other invitations you may have received for this morning, this is the best place that you can be, gathering in obedience to God. Now following Judah and David, 
the scepter was with the tribe of Judah all the way until the Babylonian captivity. Some would argue that these promises ended at that point. To say this is to miss all that God was doing. After rejection and rebellion, God disciplined his people, bringing them to a point where they were crying out for a savior, crying out for the coming Messiah. Friends, God's promises never stop. After rebellion and ruin, the crown and the scepter collecting dust, and with centuries of silence, we have wonderfully, impressively read from Josh earlier, breaking through the darkness of a new dawn at the beginning of the New Testament, we have that genealogy from Matthew 1. The anticipation is ready. A figure there appears on the horizon, casting a long, regal shadow. Friends, out of the darkness comes the silhouette of a new king, now condescending himself to pick up his crown and his scepter that have always been his. As the shadow gets closer, the silhouette of this coming king growing and growing, it becomes even more shocking as we begin to realize that the one wearing this crown, the one who is mighty to save, is but a baby in a manger. This is no trick. This is no mistake. Friends, it is exactly as God has promised. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. Leaving heaven, born in Bethlehem, Ephrathath, descended directly from Judah, one from the stump of Jesse, one from the root of David, one whose rule will never end. Friends, I hope you see by now this promised Messiah, this coming King. It can only be Jesus Christ. I hope you see it can always has been Jesus Christ. It can only be Him. Friends, this is your King. Yet what is His kingdom like? With Jacob's blessing to Judah, the promises uh, given to Abraham, now given a new line through David's throne and ultimately to Christ, Judah will be on the throne, a throne everlasting. Now we see what the blessings of this kingdom are in our second point, God's kingdom. God's kingdom. Look there at verses 11 and 12. Immediately when we look at these verses, we're met with donkeys and wine and dazzling teeth. Together, these seemingly strange images show, I think, that the coming kingdom will be one of abundance. I had the privilege of visiting the Amish people a few years ago. 
when they're tying their horses up or their donkeys. We saw them even doing this at a local McDonald's. They hitch them to strong pieces of wood. Horses are strong. I don't know if you know that. I also wonder if you know that donkeys and horses, they love to snack on fruit. Take a look at these images. Here in verse 11, this kingdom where the right king reigns, that's God's chosen king, is so bountiful that you'll be able to tie your horses and your donkeys up, not just uh, against a tree as normal, but against the vines in your vineyard. This is something unthinkable for those hearing Jacob say this. The horses would break free from any kind of normal vine. Not only that, but they would destroy and eat the grapes of your choice vine. All your hard work gone in an instant. But here in our image, this doesn't matter. Even when it may look like the root has been cut down, so strong is the choice vine. So abundant is God's chosen kingdom that all things are possible. Same here goes for how you will wash your clothes. Just dip them in the wine. Be done with it. If you're thirsty, you don't need to worry about water, but you can drink all the wine and milk that you want, even if you have no money. Come and drink. The land is bountiful. The streets run red in abundance. The wine press is full. The cups are overflowing. Verse 12 ends by showing that so lavish are the resources that the king's eyes have changed color and his teeth have been whitened. There is just so much. Harvest is plentiful here. The fields are full, and so are the bellies of the people. Make no mistake, for the people of God, there would have been very real physical abundance for the people of Israel, enjoying all of God's creation. Don't mistake the promise of physical abundance would then give way to spiritual overflowing in this new covenant. When God's king is in control and reigning, this is what life is like. It's to be enjoyed by his obedient people. The Israelites would have known this in the promised land under the rule of David as promised to the people in obedience. When a king leads his people well, there is good in the land. There is safety. There is victory. There is care. There is flourishing. There is abundance. Psalm 72 shows us how this king should reign. It says, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. It carries on. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May people be blessed in him and all nations call him blessed. This is what the people of God knew. They saw it. They tasted it. They knew that it was good. Yet how did they respond? You have forsaken me, declares the Lord. You keep going backward, he says in Jeremiah 15. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their good things that were not right. Second Kings 17. They did not keep God's covenant, 
but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Psalm 78. Could go on and on and on. Friends, before you scoff, before you shake your head this morning, how have you responded to God? How have you responded to his coming king? Sadly, we are exactly the same. We have each been born in sin. We all know that naturally we are all on the naughty list. There is no doubt about it. None of us, none of us are truly good. We're selfish. We think we know better. This is how we were born. Without Jesus, we have nothing. We bring nothing to the table. Friends, this is you. This is me. We have all forsaken God, meaning that we have all abandoned him. We have all done things against God that were not right. We have all ignored God's ways and walked on our own. Friends, we know this. Can't deny this. Some of you come broken and dismayed this morning. Maybe it's work. Maybe you've just limped to this point just to get here this morning. Every day has been a struggle. For some of you, it's sin. You're fighting. You're trusting God, but it is hard. You're struggling. You keep crying out to him. You wonder, where will it end? For others, it's just that you feel numb. You feel an apathy this morning. What is the point? Why am I even here? Friends, all of us, we have a God who brings comfort and joy. For He is a God who keeps His promises. He holds us when we're struggling. He guides us when we wander away from Him. And He keeps us when we fall. God, in His mercy, He keeps his promises towards us. His mercies are new every morning, Christian. God's invitation to bring you into his family, to bring you in, out from the cold, it's not because of you. It's all because he has loved us so much that he perfectly sent his only son, Jesus, into this weary world that we all know, we understand how hard, how tiring it is. God wants to bring you comfort and joy this morning, not just because it's Christmas, but it's because of Christ. He loves you. These things he brings to you again today. It's because when he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin and your brokenness anymore, but now he sees the righteousness that Christ has clothed you in. Pick up the words of this text. Christ's vesture and his garments, now scarlet, where they were once white. Not purple because of the being washed in wine, but soaked by his own precious blood so that he could give you what was his, his righteousness, what was clean, what was undefiled. And carrying his own crown as the one true king, he now welcomes you in as his son and as his daughter for you now to receive all the blessings of his kingdom 
No longer physical blessings, although wine and milk are still available, praise God, but all the spiritual blessings that come with a king whose kingdom shall not end, whose kingdom shall not pass away. These blessings now, the righteousness of God, everlasting life, a right relationship with the Father. Christian, I promise you, nothing can take these away from you if you are truly in Christ. If you're not a Christian, there is much for you to consider today. What is your status without Jesus? Perhaps you're set on building your own kingdom, getting as many followers as you can. Maybe you're part of someone else's kingdom. Friends, which king will you follow? Every knee will one day bow before this king. And there is only one king worthy of all honor and all glory and all praise. Make no mistake, it is King Jesus. All others will be destroyed beneath his hand. Come, cry out to the one true king, I urge you this morning. Repent before his throne today. As we've unpacked these different verses today, we see how they're all pointing forward. In your hands, you have just these five verses. All these things laid out before you are all these different elements that now show you that God keeps his promises, that this prophecy that we've looked at has a fulfillment. It has an end. All of that is in Christ Jesus. And some of the tension that you feel today reading about this abundance, about these things to enjoy forevermore, this coming kingdom. I think some of that is what I felt all those years ago. Thinking back to that Christmas in 1997, the the PlayStation was mine. I was still stuck in my living room, surrounded by my brother and sisters. I had it. I'd received it. I wasn't yet able to fully enjoy it did not change the fact that it was mine, did not fact change the fact that it was in my hands. But that tension was there. I wanted to get home up to my room to enjoy all of its fullness. Friends, there is a coming day when this victory that you have received, that you hold in your hands today, will be realized fully when from this world, a world in which you are struggling, that you are fighting You're struggling to see the joy and the promises in. One day it will pass. And finally, to its fullness, our faces will shine with the the glory of the Lord as we stand before him and finally enjoy all these spiritual blessings that are promised to us. Like that Christmas morning. Look around today. Marvel at what you have in your hands Marvel at this good news, this grace of the Lord, his mercy to you. Make no mistake, Jesus Christ is the promised king. He is the ruler from the throne of Judah. He is the only one from whom every knee shall bow. He is the coming lion of the tribe of Judah, as Revelation 5 tells us. Having crushed his enemies, it is this lion that will sit down on his throne after his work is finished on the cross, as Hebrew 12 says, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. He is the one who with his scepter and staff will rule and judge all people, as God promises in Ezekiel 21. Every promise in our text today all points forward to a king who can only be Jesus. It is he that has come. It is he who deserves all honor and praise and obedience from all people. There is none who brings in the treasure of all the nations like we see here represented this morning. Something that Haggai 2 promises to us. If you're a Christian here today, then along with others here that were not born Jews, this promise is for you, fulfilling all the promises made to Abraham to bring in a people from all nations. You have been brought in to the people of God by the precious blood of Christ, all through faith, all through the finished work on the cross. This should cause us to do nothing but bow down and worship. This is our king. His promises today in our text, given to Judah, are the beginning of something incredible. A king, a kingdom that we did not expect, whose rule and reign we could never have predicted, but a kingdom that we are now part of, only because in Christ these promises find their completion. So at Christ's feet today you are found Before his throne today we worship. There is no more striving needed, no more searching to be done. He has come. He has done it. It is finished. Come and worship your king.